I have two words for you, predator drones. You will never see it coming. I think I'm joking. Drones are being used in drone strikes, and I support that entirely and feel the president was right. There's a reason why we shouldn't be using drones. It's because we don't just take out the target. We take out a lot of innocent civilians in these countries where these drones attack. But this is basically blowing up in our faces. We've seen the blowback all across the Middle East. What if our foreign policy of the past century is deeply flawed and has not served our national security interests? I hate categories. Categories okay if you're going to grocery store. But for me, the category screwed a lot of people up. We'll make everything metal. Blacker than the blackest black times infinity. All I want is peace and love on this planet. Free Thought Radio, San Diego's source for heavy metal and other genres that are ignored by mainstream radio. San Diego's only libertarian talk show in a conservative-dominated market. More hard-hitting journalism than even the professionals themselves. Free Thought Radio. Free speech. Free expression. And... Free snow calling! Only on KKSM Oceanside, AM 1320. The Radio Revolution. As it applies to you and me, our country isn't free. Welcome to Free Thought Radio. I'm your host, Alex Fiddle. Be sure to check out the brand new website at freethoughtmedia.org. Um, under construction, but we'll be up. I'll also, um, uh, be sure to check out the show, facebook.com slash freethoughtradio, and a dedicated live page, uh, uh, freethoughtmedia.org slash live.html. You have to have the HTML there, otherwise you're going to get 404'd. Um, but on that page has the KKSM live stream, which is audio only. And then it has the uh, webcam here, which is video only. Uh, so it kind of, And it's all on the same page, so it kind of works as a perfect pair, uh, convenient to get you to see uh, both the visual and the audio portion of the show. Um, but on KKSM, we are celebrating Black Hif- History Month uh, this month. Uh, and on this show, I want to bring light to the continual civil rights struggle, that being the tragic consequences of the war on drugs. Uh, my guests for the, for the next few weeks, such as tonight's uh, guest, Leonard Freeling of Law Enforcement Against Prohibition, have to do with, with drug policy, and, and the roots of the war on drugs are racist. In the early 1900s, when the first anti-drug laws were passed, uh, and even going to 1937 with the uh, Cannabis Tax Act, um, the, uh, the congressional record has congresspeople and senators uh, saying some very nasty things. Now, I'm going to substitute uh, a different race group with the word hippie just to make this a little less disgusting. Um, they said that we don't want uh, those doped up hippies to go around our, our white daughters. Essentially, you know, that's why they passed prohibition. In addition, I'll talk about the roots of uh, how that uh, originated in, in Jekyll Island and why. Uh, um, like all the paper uh, tycoons, oil tycoons, pharmaceutical tycoons, make this illegal uh, to prevent competition to their uh, things, so, since hemp is so much more effective and natural uh, and cheaper than their their uh, alternatives and, you know, the root of, of corporatism in all this. Um, but, but fast fo- uh, and I, I recommend a movie called uh, American Drug War, The Last White Hope, because it really is the last white hope. Um, 
fast forward today, we have the highest incarceration levels, and that falls highly dis- disproportionate on minorities, and, and even uh, even uh, though drug use is even amongst pretty much everyone. The loss of civil liberties when it comes to how law enforcement skips due process when arresting someone enables racism. So in theory and in practice, the drug war is, uh, you know, the title of a great book, The New Jim Crow. And so I want to get uh, to my guest for tonight, uh, who really does stand up for this justice and and uh, the group Law Enforcement Against Prohibition. Oh, my God. Like, uh, I, they went around the country in, in uh, for the Caravan for Peace, which was... Uh, you know, recognizing the effect the drug war has on Mexico and kill, and innocent people getting caught in the crossfires, uh, and especially since our U.S. government funds a lot of, and gives guns to a lot of these cartels. So, so without further ado, joining me now is Leonard Freeling. He is a speaker at Law Enforcement Against Prohibition, and his law enforcement background is a judge and an attorney coming from Colorado, where they had just legalized cannabis. Welcome to the show, Leonard. How are you doing? I'm doing fantastic from the free state of Colorado. How are you doing, Alex? Really good. Uh, so uh, how did you become a judge, and uh, what did your experience lead you to believe that the uh, war on drugs is a total failure? What led me to become a judge was the city of Lafayette seeking me out because the uh, main judge needed a backup guy. They put me in. And I did that for eight years. As far as my thinking on the war on drugs, my current thinking is the result of that, and that is of that and the rest of my 37 years in the criminal justice system as a criminal defense attorney. And that all goes together. I've I've been seeing this, I think, from many different sides. When I resigned from being judge in Lafayette over a marijuana issue, happily, uh, Leap reached out to me, and we've been going together happily ever since. Awesome. <laughs> so so I, you, you, you resigned from your position as a judge uh, in the Lafayette uh, mu- Colorado Municipal Court in protest over increased penalties for marijuana. Uh, describe some of those penalties and how the other judges reacted to your resignation. At the time, the state statute said up to one ounce, $100 fine maximum. Not bad, better than most places in the country. The city of Lafayette had the same ordinance. The judge, the chief judge there, who I like very much, I got along great with him, um, we just disagreed on this issue. He went to the city council and asked for an ordinance modification. He wanted a maximum of one year in jail and a $1,000 fine. So increase the mandatory minimums. He wanted to increase the maximum, no mandatories. He wanted to give the court, the judge, the power on under an ounce of possession to give someone, if the judge chose to, a $1,000 fine and a year in the county jail. My position was, off the record, my position was, off the, off the record, on the record, whatever, um, it, it was not, I was not going to quit my day job. I learned what I was going to learn, I thought, and I am not born to be a judge. It's not what I get up in the morning to do. This was a perfect excuse to resign. I knew there was absolutely no way I could support 
a law like that. And it seemed problematic ethically to me to walk in and put on the black robes of justice and purport to be willing to enforce the law as it's written, not how I would write it, knowing walking in the door there's absolutely no way under any circumstances I could imagine would I ever be willing to enforce that law. I wrote the letter of resignation. I thought it sounded kind of interesting, so I sent it over to the Boulder Daily Camera, letters to the editor. They picked up on it, sent it to the news desk um, to make a three-month story quite short. Thousands and thousands of emails and phone calls and ACLU and National Normal and awesome. all friends coming on board. The city of Lafayette I think wisely said, we don't have time for this. Well, that's right. We don't. There are real problems in the world. This isn't one of them. Mm -hmm. So they shelved it. And I have to say that from the police department through the city council, the attitude of the city of Lafayette has been astonishingly, well, not astonishingly. Let me be fair. Their attitude has been spectacular. They have been receptive, open-minded, moving ahead with the future, and it, it's. Um, I'm glad I live here. Mm -hmm. Would you consider that, uh, you know, a direct result of your uh, activism and your protest uh, resignation? <laughs> My wife would say, "Of course, he takes all of the credit for everything <laughs> and the internet." Well, <laughs> Al Gore did steal the internet idea from me. That part's <laughs> true. <laughs> I did not single-handedly legalize pot in Colorado <laughs> with the word instrumental. Um, I've played a role. I've played a role. There are advantages to having a long resume and gray hair. <laughs> there are things that are good that I can lend. It lends credibility, whether it should or not. And that resume took me 37 years to come up with all that stuff. And it's... It's impressive, and it, I see the humor in putting a, an academically impressive kind of piece of paper and saying, and therefore, legalize and regulate drugs. And what's my great achievement in life? I help legalize marijuana in the state of Colorado. It's a pretty good well, achievement. Hello, <laughs> over Ma, sorry. Mm -hmm. But I'm proud of that. I, I'm incredibly proud that I was instrumental in helping make that happen. And there, there are a number of people, of course, that played really key roles. And it, the big picture, I think, is everyone worked together in Leap's role in Colorado, even though stepping back, the Leap picture is more broad than what Colorado has done. Uh, real quick, uh, just uh, give us a brief history of marijuana law reform in, in Colorado, including what Leap has done, e even before legalization, just a general history of, of, of Colorado's place as being you know, kind of like the place that gets it on marijuana. Can I jump back to the question about how other judges reacted? I like that one. Oh, sure. Go for it. <laughs> Cool, thanks. And may I give a shout-out? Sure. <laughs> My wife, Debbie Dodge, I love you. She is at the San Diego Zoo. I am sure listening to KSM 1320 AM as we speak. <laughs> awesome. As far as, as far as how the other judges reacted, the reaction I got was zero negative. 
And these are reactions from the county court judges, the district court judges that hear the serious cases in the county. I was hearing the more street level, um, less serious stuff. And Pot shouldn't have even been on that list at all. Mm -hmm. In any event, the reaction of the judges was completely supportive. They thought it was wonderful. The general consensus was it shouldn't be illegal anyway. And this is quite a number of years ago now. And in their more serious context, one of their interesting comments was the context in which they discuss this type of issue in ethics is what happens if a judge who personally really doesn't believe in the death penalty and has taken a job in which they may have a death penalty case come in front of them? What do they do? Do they resign? Do they, what do they do? And this is something that I would say the big judges think about. Now, I'm glad I never had to think about that. But it's ethically, it's similar. Mine was just less brain damage, although in the long run may have done more people more good, which is pretty exciting. So, so what's Colorado's place in, in, uh, in marijuana law reform, just uh, with a brief history of, of Colorado's, you know, kind of, uh, you know, Colorado and California, basically like the kind of spearhead right. states? What's different about Colorado is the setup of the state system. It's set up so instead of passing a referendum or, or some type of citizen initiative, we amend the Constitution. Now, being an East Coast, East Coast Law School kind of guy, that's weird. Mm -hmm. That's really weird. But we amend the Constitution. Uh, 2000, medical marijuana amended the Constitution in Colorado, Amendment 20, Article 18, Section 14, which has nine categories of medical conditions. And as you will recall, sadly, and this is really tragic, and I, I meant this, this started out as a joke. I was going to say the sky didn't fall, but as we know, in 2001, the sky did fall. Back to where I was going, though, it wasn't because Colorado legalized medical marijuana in 2000. And in fact, it went on for years with nobody noticing. And that was fine. There's no reason anyone should terribly notice. Nobody noticed the history of Colorado. Mm -hmm. Yes. See, that's not short-term memory because it happened a long time ago now. That's now long-term memory. Mm -hmm. And that's the trick for dealing with short-term memory deficit. Just wait a while. It becomes a long-term memory. <laughs> deficit and you're fine again. <laughs> so going back to 2000, we legalized medical marijuana. Um, some people in the movement thought that was not a step in the right direction. Some people thought it was. Um, in retrospect, I think obviously it was a good step in the right direction. Um, some were concerned that it wouldn't go anywhere. That is not proven to be the case. The role that one of the things that made Colorado different when we passed Amendment 64 just this last election, legalizing adult possession of small quantities of marijuana and concentrates and extracts and the, the stuff that would go with it and treating it in the nature of alcohol. Um, one of the things that I think helped us win was that everyone worked together, leap and SSDP, and MPP, and MPA, and normal, of course, and Colorado normal, and very disparate points of view on some issues all work together with the consensus being 
whatever the problems are with Amendment 64, it's good enough and maybe much better than that, in fact. It, we need to win. We need to pass this. And if there are things that we need to talk about, let's talk about them after we win. Let's not let them distract us. Mm-hmm. That horrible ringing will go away. <laughs> well, the victory was huge. Uh, what happened since it has passed? Like uh, there, there have been counties that have been just completely just non-enforcement. Uh, uh, how many counties have done that so far? And uh, what do you expect to happen next? It seems to me that Denver and Boulder, weeks ago, weeks ago, a month ago, both said, obviously, our job is not to enforce small possession of pot cases. And I believe both counties dismissed pending cases and filed no new cases. Awesome. Well, that's an appropriate use of resources. Our DA in Boulder recognizes he's not a pot smoker, says he never has, and I don't think that man has a dishonest bone in his body, and that's the DA. (laughs) But he also believes in legalization, and he's perfectly happy having his office priorities on crime. Mm -hmm. That makes sense to him. I can't believe I'm saying something good about a politician, but I'm willing to. I'm willing to. I wish, I wish San Diego's DA was like that. We've got you know, the most war on drugs DA here in San Diego. <laughs> there is no war, as we know. And as, as Leap will happily explain to you every chance we can, there is no war on drugs. There's only a war of the government on its own people. Exactly. Exactly. You can't go to war against a coca plant. We can't eradicate a noxious weed in the United States. We can't get rid of nasty little snails in our inland waterways. We're not going to get rid of a plant. It's not going to happen. On the other hand, if although there are moonshiners now, the bulk of alcohol that the bulk of people purchase, they get from liquor stores paying taxes to the state, to the feds, regulated by stacks of agencies at both levels and locally and zoning. And are there moonshiners? Well, there are, but it would be pretty hard to find one right now. If you wanted to make beer in Colorado, you could probably have people begging you to lend you the money to build another microbrewery. We have more per capita than any state in the country. Mm-hmm. I hope, I, I would like to see a similar future for marijuana within the state of Colorado. Mm-hmm. I'd like to see a cottage industry of small, talented growers. And if big business gets into it, that's, this is America. That's mm-hmm. fine. Mm-hmm. And certainly, uh, uh, I mean, that's that's a problem that we, we, uh, people would have to have with the legislature if they ha- if they pass legislation that favors certain people over others. That that's you know that's just a problem with the legislature. Uh, favors people in what sense? Uh, like, sure. uh, for example, like uh, just uh, uh, in general, like uh, uh, like crony capitalism, where uh, laws hamper small people from getting into the market, but. Uh, in order to protect the existing people, um, you know, that r- really doesn't allow you to just start from, from nothing. And then it's, it's interesting. There are a couple of things in Colorado that I think may be helpful in protecting the small person, the, us, the mm-hmm. people. And I think I, I see two things that will do that. One is the underlying sense that they really don't want, and by they, I mean the government. The state government, I believe, does not want 
big money from out of state coming in and becoming involved in this. Mm -hmm. They sure as hell don't want big out of state illegitimate money doing it. And I'm not sure that they're huge fans of big legitimate out of state money. And with banking still being an unsolved piece of the puzzle, it really does favor the whole keeping it local aspect. I also think that to the extent that I want Colorado to be a model of legalization, part of that is respecting the, I love this, the, arch, the archaic and draconian laws of our neighboring states. Oh, don't you love to get to talk like that? Mm -hmm. oh. <laughs> That's worth being a lawyer just to get to use the vocabulary. <laughs> I, we need to respect that until their citizens change their laws. In the meantime, what grows in Colorado, we smoke in Colorado. That would be my recommendation. Now, of course, this is a warning provided you by your federal government that it is still illegal under federal law to consume marijuana, the devil's lettuce, in any form. And in <laughs> fact, you cannot make rope from it. Well, you can make rope from it. You just can't grow it to make rope. Mm -hmm. Under Amendment 64, uh, hemp fiber is a significant portion of what we want to see in Colorado commercially. Definitely. And, and, if, and if marijuana is treated like alcohol and if industrial hemp is allowed to grow um, and, and the market is not legislated to weigh in favor of certain corporations, uh, what will be the possible economic benefit for Colorado and economic activity uh, productive jobs, drug war, spending elimination, and tax revenues. <laughs> you've, you've prepared so well for this interview <laughs> that I could just take the question mark off the question and make it a statement and say, yes. Uh, yes. That's, a, that's a great way to put it. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. The economic benefits are, are staggering. The impact is huge. On a state level, it's huge. Um, on a city level, I suspect that my hometown of Lafayette in eastern Boulder County, I suspect that part of the motivation of our city council is financial. Mm -hmm. Please, that's good. Mm -hmm. I went out to a neighboring town, I believe it was Thornton, to speak at their city council. They were going to ban medical marijuana dispensaries at the time. And... At that time, I'd given so many presentations at city council meetings. I was getting a little grouchy and sarcastic, and I stood up and I said, you know what, do me a favor. I'm from a neighboring town over in Lafayette. Here's what I would like you to do. Please, ban dispensaries in Thornton. We need all the tax revenue we can get, and we would love it if your citizens came and visited us and did their business at our medical marijuana dispensary. <laughs> it's quite nice. You'll love it. <laughs> <laughs> what effect do you think uh, legalization will have on the unemployment rate in Colorado? All right. Is there a job market? Yes, there's the primary job market of people that will be in the industry directly. Then there's the indirect job market, the enforcement people, the burglar alarm people, what we've already seen in the medical marijuana field, but vastly expanded. And then there's the tertiary money. There's all the money that they spend long term. There's the impact of agriculture and I have a Google alert set up on industrial hemp. I think I just have it as hemp. 
what I'm noticing is interesting. Although Colorado right now is situated as perhaps the best state in the United States to get into hemp production big time to our huge benefit. All of the alerts are coming out of Kentucky, still illegal. And the ag people wisely are saying, you really need to let us grow hemp financially. This would be a really slick thing to do. We're an agricultural state. We can do that and benefit from it. There's a little bit of buzz. Uh, Western Slope, Colorado. Uh, yesterday, there was somebody getting some buzz on hemp. But that's something that it, it's kind of a, just an untapped resource. It, it's like being able to grow oil. Mm-hmm. What are we waiting for? Let's grow some oil. That's good. Yeah, the original uh, uh, Ford Model T, I believe, was made out of hemp uh, fibers and was uh, made to run on hemp fuel. It used hemp fibers in the production. We we know that the um, the USS Constitution, I believe, has sixty had sixty tons of hemp product, rope sails. Hemp has a glorious history. We would have lost World War II without mm-hmm. our farmers growing hemp for victory. Alex says, oh, I'm getting excited here. <laughs> yeah, we're over hemp. Hemp's good fiber. Mm-hmm. My wife is a fiber artist, so I have a, an extra focus on the fiber. And I also, the more I learned about it, when I first started looking into the fiber, let me see if I can prop my face back up again. As I first started looking into the fiber, and I read the claims, this is the miracle fiber, this is the fiber that will save the planet and, and grow hair back on the bald and make sure <laughs> all. And, and I thought perhaps the claims were overstated. Based on my reading on the hemp fiber, I am now three inches taller. Wow. <laughs> that was a way of saying these outrageous claims are more factual than fantasy mm-hmm. it it really is an astonishing fiber on so many levels i'd encourage people to do a quick do a quick wikipedia and as the years go by wikipedia becomes a fairly good source i i'm surprised to find myself saying and to make sure we give leap it's fair perspective in the big picture the leap perspective that I personally completely agree with is ultimately we need to take the next step, which is to take the drugs that we would look at and say, that's a dangerous drug and have the government regulate those. Also, we don't need people making shake and bake along the side of the road and destroying hotel rooms in the process. That was a nice little mixed metaphor there, but we don't need that. We need Merck and Dow and the companies that, don't blow up their labs when they make methamphetamine, making methamphetamine. We need to be growing poppies in eastern Colorado, again with Merck and Dow, doing what they're good at, making heroin that won't kill people because the strength varies. Mm-hmm. Heroin's a nasty problem, and it's a nasty health problem. Do we really, really believe that it's worthy of the death penalty? No I don't. And that's precisely what we have. If you're a heroin addict, we have a random death penalty in the form of a hot shot, and you never know when it's coming. So what we do instead is we take this health problem, and we take on top of 
the addiction, we stack a conviction. Mm -hmm. And we say at LEAP, you can cure an addiction, but you can't cure a conviction. Exactly. I was, I was talking at a, a convention in Albuquerque some years ago. I was talking to some people who had just gotten out of, gotten out of prison, and they'd gone in on a drug case. And I said, Does I, it have I, to do with Gary Johnson? <laughs> this was a couple that had met in prison, and they were from New Mexico. And it was, Gary Johnson was there, but it wasn't him. But he was, he was at the meeting. Uh, at the conference. It was an international conference on drug policy reform. It, and I asked him, I, I said, I've heard over the years as a defense attorney that drugs are really pretty easy to get in prison. Was that your experience? And the wife said, well, I went in as a heroin addict and I came out as a cocaine addict. Prison did a lot of good. Society was safer. Their life was safer. And now they've cured their addiction. They have a felony conviction. They've done time for drugs. Mm -hmm. It's just insane. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And everything wrong with drugs is just made worse by prohibition because, you know, dealers don't care about quantity or quality. You Like with a beer, you could titrate it. One, beer, one drink is one beer, half a glass of wine, or a shot of hard liquor. You could have the same with all the other drugs, but because it's so unknown... Uh, with a black market, that can never be established. That's a really good point. With alcohol, if you're abusing alcohol, you're choosing to. You know what you're putting in your body. It's on the label. That's a really good point. I like mm -hmm. that a lot. Mm -hmm. Excellent point. For those just joining us, I'm talking with Leonard Freeling. He's a speaker at Law Enforcement Against Prohibition, and their website is CopsSayLegalizedDrugs.com. Uh, so what other states are just going straight to the legislature for legalization and uh, what states may be expected to have initiatives in the coming election years? Again, your preparation is excellent. You're asking the right questions. And it seems to me the first communication I saw was yesterday from one of the normal affiliates to make sure we have our lines of communication open within normal national organization for the reform of marijuana laws.org uh, to make sure that, that we have our communications open and they, this person was talking about the states that may have either ballot initiatives or legislative initiatives and I don't know the summary answer yet but it seems to me that it was more than a few awesome it was more than a few, and it's we're at the beginning of the end. Short term, it's very difficult to predict just what this is going to look like. Mm -hmm. Nobody understands this analogy. It's like being at the event, uh, the event horizon of a black hole. Einstein's laws, Einstein's predictions don't hold up well there. It's a problem. It's a discontinuity. And nature doesn't like discontinuities. Well, neither does political science and neither does the law. And we're at a discontinuity here. We're, at a, we're not in a smooth curve section of stuff. We're at a step mm -hmm. kind of an event. So short term, what's it going to look like? Whoa. I'll read the paper tomorrow morning and I'll tell you what it looked like today. And I'm in the middle of it. Mm -hmm. On the other hand, if you said, what's it going to look like in five years? Interestingly, 
as critical as the leap input was in winning Amendment 64, because of the credibility that they righteously bring, we righteously, I speak for them, not me, bring them, because of that credibility, in five years, people aren't going to be thinking anymore about whether or not marijuana should be legalized. Now, as I say that, in the 60s, we knew in the 70s it would be legalized. I maintained all along that that's always been true. I just no longer knew if it was the 2070s or my 70s. We seem to have beaten both of those predictions. But, uh, but whether it's five years or ten years, we are the leap message will become more and more and more relevant because the bad news is because it's going to be economically driven, we won't be able to afford to felonize bad drug decisions. Mm -hmm. Right now we can afford it because of the, and I hate the term, prison industrial complex. It sounds so 70s. Mm -hmm. On the other hand, the more I learn about this and the more I think it through, the idea of a private prison is so inherently a conflict of interest that if I were teaching a law school ethics class and had to give an example of a conflict of interest, I would have my students analyze the concept of a private prison. If you have a state-run prison paid for by taxes, the warden's goal is really simple. They want to get convict 24781 back on the street, safe to the community, yesterday. And if they could have done it the day before, better. They need the room, they need the resources, but they don't want the community at risk. Very unconflicted and priorities that we want them to have. Mm -hmm. On the other hand, a private prison system is like owning an apartment building. If the apartment's not rented, you're still paying the mortgage on it, but you're not even covering your cash flow. You need every bed filled. And when you fill those, you want to build another one and fill every bed. And how long do you want to fill the beds? Well, how about forever? Mm -hmm. And then you want to fill them too. So what's your priority? Never release anyone. What facilitates that? Make sure no one ever becomes less of a risk. Make sure that as many things require incarceration as possible, regardless of whether or not it makes any sense. And don't focus on things like the people that, sadly, we still do need to incarcerate because we don't safely know how to manage them in the community yet. Perhaps someday, someday we will, and prisons will become obsolete. We're not there yet, I'm sorry to say, but we're not. Mm -hmm. On the other hand... Can we afford to be filling our public prisons, state prisons, and now more prisons with what we put people in prison for? And the answer is no. We have more people in prison in the United States than Russia. Just sheer numbers, not per capita, no per capita games anymore, than China. We have more people in prison than China. It was a big deal when we talked about, well, per capita, we didn't have as many. We didn't have as many now. Not only did we beat them per capita, we have more people in prison. Mm -hmm. Use that as an approach to clean up crime in the streets with the sacrifice of personal liberties. 
it cleaned up crime in the streets and sacrificed personal liberties. That is a choice available to us. It's a, it's a weak person's choice. It's an embarrassing choice. It's that trading security for liberty. Mm-hmm. The person who trades security for liberty deserves neither. Ben Franklin. Ben Franklin. Smart fellow. Mm-hmm. Smart fellow. Actually, I have that as a bumper sticker. I love it. <laughs> love it. Uh, so, so law enforcement against prohibition, uh, aside from being instrumental in, in Amendment 64 on the ground in 2012, there was also like a, a nationwide caravan for peace. And also uh, uh, I, I, there was a really good uh, screening of the, of the Prop 19 documentary, Legalize It, the movie. Um, what does LEAP have in store for 2013? Let me, let me speak to that personally. Personally, Leap reaches out to me and I say, yes, I would love to chat with that audience, that one person, that hundred people, that thousand people. Be my pleasure and spread the word and try to continue the process of education. The reason I said addressing it perfectly is that one of the things that I've taught people over many years is that it's common for people to plan for failure but to forget to plan for success. Mm-hmm. I know better. Well, <laughs> I forgot to plan for success. It never, in the wildest reaches of my imagination, occurred to me that we would win this election on 64. Mm-hmm. It was all, it was a worthwhile effort. It was educational. I got to talk to a lot of people, got to raise the level of consciousness I like to believe uh, amongst conservative Republican audiences at times, literally um, northern Colorado County Republicans breakfasts and stuff like that for LEAP. And that's a hell of an audience on limited caffeine. We're fine. They had one or two people that were extreme, and the rest of the audience was delightful. Um, but whoever thought we'd win? Legalized pot? Pardon me? Mm-hmm. Great idea, but... So, that's me personally. Leap, as an organization, I would say, speak to the guys that think about these things. As they say, mm-hmm. that's above my pay grade. <laughs> Happily so. I'm perfectly happy learning what I can about the the issues, the underlying logic. Um, some of the speakers focus a lot on the numbers, and the numbers are just staggering and have lots of zeros, and all of them say, we're right and they're wrong. Mm-hmm. I, it's easy for me to say, go to the website for the numbers, they're all there. The short version is, here's why they're wrong and we're right. Knowing that the hardcore numbers the government's hardcore numbers, not our numbers, whatever that might mean, support everything we're saying. In fact, Bolivia just recently threw out the DEA. Awesome. ...growing coca, two-thirds of an acre for each approved farmer. They estimated that they could give out X number of licenses to grow coca, two-thirds of an acre each, to meet the, the, the indigenous needs and not provide for export. If they caught a farmer growing over two-thirds once, they cut down the excess. The second time, they pull their permit and cut it all down. The farmers are happy. The net coca production is down, and violent crime is down. 
Now, ask any LEAP speaker, and they would say, well, that's what we've been saying will happen, Mm -hmm. because we believe that's what will happen. And every time somebody does what we're saying they say they should do, every time somebody does what we suggest they should be doing, that was better, what we expect will happen is what happens. The sky doesn't fall. But imagine going into the liquor store and saying, I want that pint of vodka and not having the clerk say, let me see your ID. Mm-hmm. That's alcohol. I don't know if you go to a local neighborhood pot dealer and I sure as hell wouldn't ask you. Mm-hmm. But if you did, I'll bet one of the questions is not, do you have your proof with you? Mm-hmm. By the way, your ID with you? Well, in Colorado, that's the absolute minimum level of regulation. Absolute, absolute, absolute minimum. And, of course, it'll be more than this. Do you have your proof that you're over 21? Well, hell, that's an awfully big starting point. Mm-hmm. It moderately well with alcohol and tobacco. Definitely. Well, for alcohol and tobacco, it'll work just fine for marijuana, too. But because marijuana is the devil's lettuce, we'll see more regulation than just that. So there'll be unnecessary and necessary employment both. (laughs) There'll be a bunch of ex-prison guards that need new jobs anyway, right? (laughs) Anything that we haven't touched upon yet that you would like to uh, get out to our listeners? The message that I heard from what I call the 40 percenters of the people that voted in favor of legalizing marijuana in Colorado, 40% of those voters are non-smokers. Maybe they tried it. Maybe they haven't. They're non-smokers, the 40 percenters. There are a lot of people out there who realize because other people have behaved well over many years of smoking pot that the non, the 40 percenters can say, this is not a problem. We are not concerned about this. So keep up the good manners. Keep up the education. Don't blow smoke in people's faces. And the other thing I took from the 40 percenters, renewed hope that the voters still have some remaining power. There is still some ability of the people to be heard. And Many of the people, my friends, thought that was just no longer possible. (laughs) Well, it is still possible. And I know it's unusual, but it's still possible. That's encouraging. Mm -hmm. That's encouraging. Well, I've been speaking with Leonard Freeling. He is a speaker at Law Enforcement Against Prohibition. They are a very vocal group against the war on drugs, or as Leonard put it, the war on the people by the government. And, of course, uh, Leonard's from Colorado where they just legalized marijuana. Um, but uh, Actually, I forgot to get this in. They might be doing the residency thing that uh, Holland tried to pass for that, you know, you can't have you know, marijuana tourism. Here's the short version. Right now, there's a governor's task force. They're going to draw a broad brushstroke non-binding guidelines, which will then go to the Department of Revenue for drafting regulations and the legislature for drafting statutes. We're at the beginning. So the answer, I think the only fair answer is assume they are talking about every possibility there is. You make up a possibility, and I would say, yeah, they probably are talking about that. And therefore, the press can say, oh, they are considering. Well, there's a difference between is something being considered, and I'm not saying specifically that issue is or is not, but there's a difference between considering everything and seriously considering anything. Um, 
Will residency be looked at or addressed? Of course. Is there anything in Amendment 64 requiring residency? No. How do the two go together? Ask me in about 13 months. All right. <laughs> what I've seen in going through this legislative process with 64 and with some other um, pot-related issues is that you, you can think you have a situation under control, solved, and then the last day, last committee, last second, they revert back to where they were six months before, and you walk out shaking your head wondering what happened. We're at the, and we're not even there. That's the end. We're at the beginning. You're going to hear so many stories about what is being considered, what's being discussed. Keep track of where we are in the process. We're looking at roughly a 14-month time span. The government's task, the governor's task force comes back, I think, end of February with uh, um, general guideline thoughts on how maybe this thing can be tackled. I'd like to believe that normal Colorado Normal has a seat at that table. I'm very happy to say there are, of course, many anti-drug groups at the table. And I know the governor's goal is to make it work. He said it. I believe it. His general counsel said that to our people when they met. I believe it. And our people want to make it work. And if we do a good job of it, what it what a chance to be a model of reform after prohibition. We have a great chance to show how it can be done. Uh, I really want to see us take maximum advantage of that. Mm-hmm. Our constant, you, you were talking about the protections for the little guy. There were two quick thoughts that I, I'm glad you reminded me of that. One of them, in Amendment 64, it says specifically that people already in the business in Colorado get basically favored treatment. Well, that's pretty much small people in big shoes, I think. And it also says, at the end of the day, whatever's done has to be, and I love this, this is constitutional language, it has to be commercially reasonable. That's constitutional language. Don't be an idiot when you legislate this so it can't be done. Mm -hmm. That's not what we mean. So, yes, there is language in there that will help support um, the smaller people in the business, the people that are already in the business. Um, it's at least, and I'm making this up, for the, for the many people that have, it's like going prospecting for gold in Colorado. This is our new gold rush. Many people had dry holes. Some people hit gold. The hardware stores did great. I think we're seeing a similar kind of gold. We saw a similar kind of gold rush a number of years ago here with medical marijuana, and we're going to see another one. I don't know exactly what the timing will be, because right now, although people are being creative in some of the stuff they're running by me as ways that may be consistent with Amendment 64 and may or may not be legal otherwise at a state level, and asking me to speculate, I can't. I don't know what the law is going to be in 14 months. Ask me when the legislature is done for the session, and even then I'll just have a better guess because still won't know all the answers, but we will have a better guess. Mm-hmm. Well, that's all awesome information. Thank you again for coming on the program. Leonard Freeling from Law Enforcement Against Prohibition, straight out of Colorado where they just legalized cannabis by the will of the people. Uh, go to leap.cc or... 
CopsSayLegalizedDrugs.com. Two down, 48 to go. Leonard, thanks for stopping out by the program. All right, Alex, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> and that was my guest, Leonard Freeling of Law Enforcement Against Prohibition. Uh, I want to uh, cover a few uh, interesting uh, cannabis-related stories. Um, I got this uh, message sent to me uh, about, uh, uh, I'm not going to, I didn't, don't even have this person's name, but I'll, I'll read their letter, uh, and I'll, um, and uh, it's an interesting story. So it says, January 29th, I was pulled over for no front plate, and, and the officer saw my mom's for marijuana sticker on my center console and asked if I had been smoking. I replied no. Not only was I 17 weeks pregnant, but I was on my lunch break from work. I was one block away from the school I have taught at the past decade. I said, uh, um, I might be the officer that's stating this, but it's, if I bring my dog here, will he find cannabis? Uh, uh, well, instead of using I, I'll use she instead to make this <laughs> seem like it's not because I'm not 17 weeks pregnant. Um, <clears throat> she stated that she didn't know what, uh, what the cop was, was talking about, and the cop told her to sit tight. Shortly after that, um, he called for backup. A second car and cop showed up. They wandered aimlessly for a bit. After what seemed like forever, a third undercover car showed up with a dog. Uh, they asked her to get out of the car, and this dog went to town in and out of her car. They, f they found an old bowl with what can be described as crumbs in it, a pack of rolling papers and a lighter. They asked her if the, uh, she recognized the pouch it was in, and she said yes. Uh, the cop asked if it was hers and she said, no, um, she, the cop said she was under arrest. She was cuffed one block from the school that she worked at and her car was towed. Five tickets later, she was released to get her car. Uh, somehow her job found out and she is currently on paid suspension. Uh, there is a hearing on February 25th at the board of education to dismiss her. Uh, she has taught 15 years and she's a sole provider at home. Again, she's 17 weeks pregnant at the time of this story. We, uh, she would have uh, no money, no insurance for herself or her baby, uh, no retirement, and no death benefits. Um, they tried to get her to resign yesterday, and she refused. Um, she's fighting this, but she's terrified. Um, and she doesn't understand, understand how tickets can ruin her, her life. And she finally saw the police report uh, that Full claimed he smelled cannabis, and it was a consenting search. And somehow she was released to drive. Um, she has court March 1st where charges may be dropped, but still she may lose everything. Um, so that's, you know, just an anecdotal little thing of things that happen every day. You know, pregnant women. And uh, uh, this brings me to another story. Thanks to the Human Solution uh, coming up uh, in, in L.A. Um, uh, Daisy Bram, uh, her three kids were taken away. Um, and you, there's photos here on the, the human solutionorg slash newsletter dash category slash update dash from dash daisy. And uh, you can see the bruises from the foster child. Um, and you know, uh, you know, uh, these are just the people that put their stories out there. I, I know plenty of people that have had much worse situations with their kids, you know, getting taken away in foster care. Um, it's really, you know, just the inhumane 
little pet project that we can't seem to uh, let go of, and that is the war on drugs, and especially medical cannabis patients, the people that have uh, medical conditions that they will suffer without it. They should, at the very least, be the least people that are uh, the last people that are subject to these laws. Uh, and so for that, um, I want to play two songs uh, before we get to uh, news headlines here. Uh, first one is Legalize It by Peter Tosh. Second one uh, is the prison song by System of a Down. And, you know, I'm not too much a fan of, like, NU metal, like new metal, NU, like, you know, corn and everything like that. And, uh, <laughs> um, but I do love the subject matter of this song. It is insanely true and accurate, except for the part where they say that treatment should be increased. Um, that, I think, you know, who's going to decide who needs treatment and mandatory treatment? Like, who? what kind of uh, stuck-up conservative will say that everybody that's on marijuana is addicted to it and they need treatment? I don't think treatment is it, but that's part of the lyrics here in the song. But again, Legalize It by Peter Tosh. Then after that, The Prison Song by System of a Down. Here on KKFM AM 1320, The Radio Revolution. Be right back.
Expressed on this program are those of the host and not of KKSM, Palomar College, its staff, the board of directors, or station management. You're listening to KKSM, Palomar College Radio. You're listening to KKSM, 1320 AM. Quiet, numbskulls, I'm broadcasting. Cox Cable, channel 957. Welcome to the world of tomorrow. Student-run and independent. PalomarCollegeRadio.com. Welcome back, and those last two songs you heard were Prison Song by System of a Down, and before that, Legalized by Peter Tosh, and I think that song really got down to the root of the war on drugs, you know, the CIA being uh, one of the largest drug traffickers, and you know, how the wars really all are just kind of a big corrupt uh, scheme, uh, and they, the money does fund those things that he talked about. Uh, but it is 7.55. Unfortunately, I don't have the news sounder, but I'm just going to go ahead with the KKSM uh, news headlines anyways. Now, I'm going to talk about the State of the Union address much later in the show, so be sure to stay tuned for the rest of the episode. Cannabis Sherry is coming up in the next hour. But in state news, uh, the LAPD and, and San Bernardino Police Department burned Chris Dorner alive. New audio from KTLA captures police officers saying, burn it down, burn the mother effer down before the tear gas canisters or, canisters or, or some other catalyst cause the fire. Now, the police are denying such claims, but the raw evidence pr proves otherwise, especially since Dorner was not investigated to get the concrete proof on the allegations of his crimes, even if he is guilty. This precedent opens up the reins to some scary police tactics to shoot at people, burn people alive, based off of a mere suspicion or allegation, without a chance to face your accuser or at least have solid evidence to back it up. And, you know, going with the two ladies who were shot because their car looked a little like him, without bothering to find out if those people were, and they were ladies too. Um... <laughs> Now, I'm no fan of Chris Dorner or his tactics. You know, those are tragic and, and horrific. But many ex-LAPD cops, especially African-American ones, have said that Dorner's claims of massive racism and corruption are for the most part true. If he were to be brought in alive, the press may have been able to investigate those claims. It leaves one to speculate whether the LAPD was so steadfast on killing him in order to silence such allegations of the police force and cover their asses. Waco 2.0. National news, Treasury Secretary Jack Lew got bailouts, bonuses at Citigroup. Now, proposed Secretary Treasury Jack Lew had received l the large bonuses after receiving bailouts when he worked at Citigroup. Many firms like Citigroup, GE, Goldman Sachs have all gotten really good tax breaks from President Obama despite his rhetoric about the 
Since the banking cartels own the two parties and the government, it is no surprise that they award themselves bailouts for ruining the economy and getting bonuses on top of that. The Federal Reserve just has to add zeros at the end of their bank ledger electronically, and they become even richer at our expense since the inflation, monetary inflation ruins uh, the value of it. Um, and this guy will run our country's finances. Um, so uh, check, out, <laughs> check out the Bilderberg Group, uh, Tim Geithner, President Obama, Romney, Hillary Clinton, Mark Zuckerberg, and many of the world's political and financial elites attend this secret meeting. Is it any wonder that the big banks get rich by devaluing our, our dollar to print themselves bigger bank accounts through the Federal Reserve in a closed loop? This is a giant pyramid scheme. Do any of you have a printing press? Can you print yourself bonuses? It is um, the weather outside here in San Marcos where KKSM wonderfully broadcasts out of. It's 54 degrees. Uh, traffic looks pretty much clear. Uh, problem areas are 78 westbound at Center City Parkway. And, uh, and it is about a 48 mile per hour slowdown. And my name is Alex Fiddle, broadcasting here from Palomar College. Uh, that has been your KKSM News Brief. Uh, we'll be right back after this break with more Free Thought Radio. My guest, Cannabis Sherry Sicard on Canna- How to Cook with Cannabis, up next. Thank you, Oceanside. The Oceanside Relay for Life raised over $90,000 in its one-day event last April. The Relay for Life is the American Cancer Society's signature fundraising event, and the funds raised this year will go to cancer research and patient and caregiver support services. If you would like to volunteer or participate in the April 20th, 2013 Oceanside Relay for Life, go to www.relayforlife.org slash OceansideCA. Once again, that's www.relayforlife.org slash OceansideCA. Now, if you need help or other information, call 1-800-ACS-2345. That's 1-800-ACS-2345. Join the movement for more birthdays. The views and opinions expressed on this program are those of the host and not of KKSM, Palomar College, its staff, the board of directors, or station management. You're listening to KKSM, Palomar College Radio. You're listening to Palomar College Radio, KKSM, Oceanside. Welcome back to the show. Uh, Be sure to check out the brand new website for uh, Freethought Radio, which is freethoughtmedia.org. That'll take you to also the YouTube channel, which is better known as Freethought TV or FTV. Um, You could also find out how to donate Bitcoin to the show. And I mentioned the Bilderberg Group uh, conference before. Um, They are set to meet again this year, speculatively, in Chantilly, Virginia. Um, But they may move that and there may be a diversion because they don't like the public attention these meetings are getting. And, you know, the the financial elite that are uh, controlling our economy and our world. Um... If you donate Bitcoin, maybe you'll be able to pay for my hotel room <laughs> and uh, uh, cover the cover the conference if uh, if it does end up happening happening in Virginia again. Um, but you know, going back to Jekyll Island, where the Federal Reserve was created, um, and and how that ties into marijuana prohibition, uh, it tied into alcohol prohibition too. The you know the big uh, the oil uh, John D Rockefeller wanted people only to use oil, so outlaw. Uh, mash uh, with prohibition and then outlaw hemp with uh, w- both of which can be our great biofuels um, you know and, and you control the government through the the money system uh, you can get prohibition for 40 years uh, we got rid of alcohol prohibition but we really haven't been using that kind of a biodiesel since 
And that brings me to my next guest, who's a great activist, uh, also for marijuana legalization. Uh, uh, again, the guest in the last hour was for a judge from Colorado, instrumental in passing it. Next guest, also very instrumental in passing it by uh, reaching out to voters directly uh, with the Normal Women's Alliance of L.A. So without further ado, my guest for this hour... Joining me now is Cannabis Sherry. She's the author of the Cannabis Gourmet Cookbook and also is a activist for marijuana law reform uh, with the Normal Women's Alliance. Welcome to the program, Sherry. Thanks. And uh, unlike a lot of activists, I'll use my real name too, Sherry Sicard. <laughs> All right. <laughs> okay. So, so here in California, we did pass an initiative in 1996 to allow for the medicinal use of marijuana legally from patients with doctors. Uh, or, or with uh, prescriptions from doctors. Uh, unfortunately, the last two presidents we have had uh, have systematically cracked down on medical cannabis caregivers, resulting in a very volatile market where we had a huge boom of uh, people providing medicine, and then all of a sudden the federal government steps up their rates and shuts down everybody, and then a lot of patients are left with no medicine. People's jobs as caregivers are lost, and the founders of these collectives face heavy sentencing due to mandatory minimums. And now I saw you on, on Reason TV the other day at the sentencing of Aaron Sandusky. Do you want to talk a little bit about that? Sure. Uh, Aaron Sandusky is really a tragic case. He got sentenced to 10 years, uh, which was a mandatory minimum. Um, but, I mean, that's very sad, but it just really underscores the ignorance we have in today's leaders, elected officials, appointed officials, uh, the judge in the Sandusky case gave Aaron and the entire audience a really ignorant and condescending lecture about the evils of marijuana and how it's tied to drug cartels and gangs and how, um, you know, these people have lost them. Aaron has lost his moral compass by dealing in medical marijuana. And it just really underscores the amount of ignorance we have. Uh, you talk about the president, uh, the past few presidents. It's not just presidents. It's all the way down. Mm -hmm. Um, Congress people, all the way down to your mayors and city councils. It's really a systematic uh, problem that we're seeing on all levels of government. And um, before I got into cooking and before I got into cannabis, I wrote books on government and citizenship and how it's supposed to run, and, and that is not how it's supposed to be run. Our representatives are not representing the will of the people. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And, and, you know, somebody that's completely nonviolent, somebody that is actually helping patients with something that actually relieves most uh, uh, of the symptoms of their illness or the harsh side effects of their uh, poisonous pharmaceuticals. Uh, what, what about uh, 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 Joe Grumbine and, uh, and, and Chris Williams from Montana who faces 80 years? Because uh, 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 I, I know uh, Joe Grumbine is from L.A. as well, so uh, uh, can you give us yeah, an insight? Yeah, I'm really yeah, I'm really familiar with the Grumbine case. I was in court every day of that trial um, and almost all of the days since then. And uh, Joe Grumbine, much like Aaron Sandusky, is a case uh, that we see often of prosecutors or police officials just getting a personal vendetta against somebody for whatever reason. Um, I know Adam Affenberg just went through this in Washington, although his charges, he got a good judge and his charges were dismissed. But these people just keep persecuting these people until they are bankrupt and broken and have nothing left to give. Um, Joe Grumbine uh, had these same charges two years ago, and was the judge dismissed the case, said he was in complete compliance 
with California law. But what most citizens don't realize that is if there's not an actual verdict, like guilty or innocent, the prosecutor can roll those judicial dice again and bring up those charges again and hope to get a judge more sympathetic to their cause. That's what happened in the Grumbine case. Um, I know that happened in Jovan Jackson's case. So, I mean, we really have people that we are paying the salaries. These are public officials that we're paying the salaries that have these personal vendettas for whatever reason, and they just keep persecuting these people over and over again. Mm-hmm. It's really a corrupt and broken system. I think it's, it's very sad. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's really to the, to the benefit of those that don't want to see it legalized. Yeah, but it's not to the benefit of the rest of us mm-hmm. uh, for several reasons. One all of us taxpayers, whether you believe in marijuana or not, are paying for this, and it's expensive. We incarcerate more people than anywhere in the world. Um, I look at the Joe Grumbine case. He's probably been in court at least 70 times, seven zero times in the past year and a half or so, two years. And uh, every time, everybody's getting paid there. The judge in his last trial estimated, this was from the judge's mouth, that it costs about $10,000 a day to run a trial like that and to pay for everybody involved in it. That's by the judge's estimate. Well, we the taxpayers are paying for that to persecute these people who are giving medicine to sick people, legal under state law. It just doesn't make any sense, and it's certainly not sustainable, especially not with our current economics. And fortunately, he was released, uh, was it before Christmas, I believe? He was, but only because the time that Samaritan, one of his supporters, came up and got the money to bail him out. If not for that, uh, he would still be in jail right now. And the state made it as hard as possible for that to happen, too. Mm-hmm. Just bring up a bureaucratic roadblock at every, every junction. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, Aaron Sandusky was uh, sentenced, like, the day or so before his birthday. It was the day before his birthday, yeah. It was, it was a very, very sad day to see. Uh, and but, is he uh, currently uh, incarcerated? or? Yes, he is. And he has been for, um, I believe, the past few months. Wow. He's, he's, he's been incarcerated while awaiting sentencing. And, I mean, the, whatever well, arguments people have against marijuana legalization, at the very least, we should not be harming people that need it, the people that have medicinal needs for it that would otherwise suffer, and certainly the people that step up and are able to provide safe and clean medicine to those patients that are in need. Exactly, and full show about 80% of Americans agree with that viewpoint. So, again, I'm back to the point of our elected representatives are not representing the will of the people. Definitely, and uh, and uh, of course, I'm you know I was just playing devil's advocate. I do completely support legalization, and I know you work with uh, Normal Women's Alliance in L.A. Uh, de- describe mm-hmm. the, describe the the work that you guys do. Uh, and what you guys did to uh, phone bank voters in Colorado and Washington to pass their legalization initiatives. Right. Well, the Normal Women's Alliance uh, was started several years ago specifically to reach the female demographic, and not just because it's a feel-good thing, we want more women, but because women hold behind men on the issue of legalization about 10 points or so, I believe, when the Women's Alliance was started. So this was started in order for women to reach out to women, women and men, but we were trying to reach that demographic, educate women about the issue, how uh, prohibition against marijuana does their families and their children more harm than the substance itself, and really just to educate and empower women and bring them into this cause and see, make them understand how it affects them, whether they use it or not, whether their children use it or not. This issue affects everybody in this country. So that's how it was brought about. 
uh, as far as phone banking, the Women's Alliance got a program together so women all over the country could phone bank and call voters in uh, Oregon and in Colorado um, about the legalization initiatives. Unfortunately, Oregon didn't make it, but Colorado happily did. But um, this phone banking project specifically targeted women voters, so we had women talking to women about these issues, and if they had uh, questions or concerns, we had somebody that could answer them. And uh, so we got people involved in this legalization effort all over the country, whether they lived in those states or not. It was really exciting. Mm-hmm. Definitely. And, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's great to see how those were passed, that uh, counties in Washington and Colorado uh, just started dismissing cases and saying that they're not even going to try to pursue new ones and, uh, you know, exonerated people uh, left and right. Uh, wh- what do you make of, you know, just people in, in those law enforcement communities just coming to sense over this issue? Uh, oh, hallelujah. It's about time and better late than never. I mean, it's really wonderful anytime anybody doesn't go to jail over this benevolent plant. On the other hand, while this is happening, we have Sandusky sentenced to 10 years. So it's really just polar opposites. And that was brought up by Sandusky's lawyer in the closing arguments. There's just all these myriad of laws that say completely opposite things. Sandusky got convicted for growing marijuana, but in, in L.A. County where he was operating, you have to grow your own marijuana in order to be compliant. So the laws just contradict each other, and what this has resulted in is no matter what you do, they're going to paint it as you were doing it wrong, you need to go to jail. Mm-hmm. So, But um, you have a good chance of not going to jail. That's the other issue Sandusky's lawyer brought up and that I talk about all the time. There is no such thing as equal protection under the law. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's thousands and thousands of collectives still operating, doing exactly what Joe Grumbine and Aaron Sandusky were doing. They're not bothered at all. Mm-hmm. It's all selective, it's kind of arbitrary. Law- Yes. It seems like the luck of the draw or whoever law enforcement has a personal issue with that mm-hmm. gets targeted. Yeah, and that's really unfortunate, and that's just tragic in America. Um, I just see more and more of our Constitution eroded every day. Is, is it uh, a lot of people who are outspoken about this issue, uh, especially those who are activists, that uh, tend to get, catch the eye of law enforcement? Exactly. Well, that is the case with Sandusky and Grumbines. They were both activists and outspoken about it. Uh, they both believed firmly in this plant and that what they were doing was correct and just under the law and that they were helping people. Mm-hmm. But um, the federal government, and sometimes even our state government, doesn't really care about that if they can get a conviction. And that's what it is. It's all part of this big machine. They need to get convictions. And um, Grumbine and Sandusky were very brave and our brave Joe is still fighting, and uh, Aaron is appealing. They didn't take a deal. Most defendants in this country, something like 90% of defendants, don't go to court. They take a deal. They get guaranteed no jail time, and the prosecution gets a check in the conviction box. That's all they care about. So when you get people like this who are willing to fight and stand up for a cause, it tends to bring up the ire of the prosecution, despite what's right and wrong. Exactly, and that's that's a great thing to do because... I know, uh, like, uh, uh, for example, David Bronner, when he did his hemp protest in front of the White House, he did not want to, uh, you know, take a plea deal because he wanted to get the point across that he was growing industrial hemp with no drug value, that he, you know, that's the entire point of doing the whole thing. So why would he cave on that? And same goes, that was Aaron Sandusky's point, was that it's a med- it is a medicine, and why, and it's completely absurd and unjust and inhuman to uh, be uh, prosecuting someone that gives it to patients in need. 
Exactly. Plus, both Sandusky and Grumman said they were doing everything they could possibly do to follow state law. But again, the, the laws are so conflicting, no matter what you're doing, they have something they'll get you on. And that seems to be the game they're playing. At least that's what I observe, and I have been to countless court support cases for countless defendants over the past few years. And they just, they will find some little loophole they can get you on, and they will, if they want to. A lot of people, others are left alone. Mm-hmm. And, and this, uh, it's really maddening and insane. Mm-hmm. Like uh, this, the the continuation of, of crackdowns on on medical marijuana past uh, President Obama's reelection kind of makes me uh, take his uh, promise to leave uh, a supposed small level possession alone. Uh, but and but then we also heard that they were going to uphold federal law. But given given that the whole point of legalization is the marketplace, not just small level possession. How can his promise right. hold any weight when the feds don't usually go after level level possession anyways unless to target activists yeah. uh, um, they, they go they're continuing to go after completely innocent medical cannabis caregivers so uh, w- once this is legalized and the marketplace is, is established and cannabis and industrial hemp are grown uh, do, do you think that uh, you know his uh, their true feelings would would come to play if they do raid, and if he's not addressing that, you know, he would leave them alone. Do you think that kind of leaves it open that, you know, he doesn't want to make a concrete promise that he knows that he's going to break? Yeah, I boy, I don't want to be pessimistic. I just don't have a lot of faith in him um, because he didn't do what he said he would the first time and leave them alone. So I really don't understand the hesitation on this. The public and the polls are firmly on, it, on his side. And uh, I don't know what they're going to do. There's rumors that Joe Biden is working on a task force right now to kind of quash it. I don't like hearing that. Mm-hmm. Biden is a huge drug warrior. Um, I don't know. It's It hasn't played out yet, but uh, do I have a lot of faith in his word that he's not going to do anything? No, not me personally, no. Mm-hmm. Definitely. And yeah, um, like there were there. Uh, I live in San Diego. There were raids here that continued after the election, which is pretty much a mandate to do. You know, to you know, not be in campaign mode anymore and worry about what other people think. I mean, it's kind of like, and it's also legalization in regards to how the cartel uh, trade causes violence. That if we don't legalize it, you know, that's especially what I liked about the Caravan for Peace. Uh, movement that it exactly. it you know sh- it showed that you know people that aren't even involved with drug trade at all get killed or kidnapped or, or and and other you know horrific uh, things happen and president obama not recognizing that is kind of just leaving that issue to the dark because uh uh the mainstream media didn't really cover it fortunately all the local news stations here in san diego covered it but that's not usual of them to you know cover a rational drug story it's usually drug scares about you know the new drug that's killing your kids like what well, uh, yeah if he's failing to if, if he doesn't you know uh come out and recognize that it is he's is he failing to stand up for the victims of the drug war he is failing to, to stand up and the media is in the back pocket of the corporations that want to keep it illegal and it's so inaccurate i mean just the stuff you hear in the mainstream media is just absurd i just posted a story from the cannabis sherry facebook wall i I think it's Channel 7, ABC News, uh, saying, here's what uh, dabbing is, uh, taking your cookie or brownie and dipping it into oil and eating it so you get a bigger high. That's how they defined dabbing. In a story about the dangers of dabbing. <laughs> so, I mean, it's just laughable. I mean, everybody that's ever 
that knows anything is just laughing uproariously at that. Yeah. But it's also <laughs> tragic because that's what's informing the mainstream, mainstream populations. So they're getting all this misinformation. And uh, that's the biggest problem. We've, we're fighting decades of government and corporate-sponsored brainwashing of the public. Sometimes when I look at our opposition, it's amazing to me we've gotten as far as we have. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, I want to... Uh, Talking about you know the tragedies of the drug war is a little bit of a of a downer. So I want to go to a lighter note and talk about uh, cannabis cooking, which is a whole okay. lot a whole lot of fun. <laughs> <laughs> when did you decide to publish a book uh, of medical cannabis recipes? All along, I, I was a food writer before I got into cannabis. I started the website fabulousfoods.com. I've written cookbooks. Uh, the Complete Idiot's Guide to Easy, easy Freezer Meals. Uh, I've written recipes for various newspapers, books, magazines over the years. So food was always part of my life. So when cannabis started coming into it, it was a natural progression to start cooking with cannabis. Uh, I did what most people do and went on the Internet and found, again, lots of conflicting information, and I didn't know what to do, so I started experimenting. Thought I might as well write a book about it, and so I did. Awesome. So uh, for, for our listeners that might not be too familiar with how to cook with cannabis, uh, what are some of the basic, like, base ingredients that cannabis can be infused with, like, for example, butter? Sure. I get, I get the question all the time, what's better, butter or oil? And it's not in either or. It's just whatever works better in your recipe. Cannabis, uh, the THC in cannabis does bind to a fat, so, but it doesn't really matter what that fat is. It could be butter, oil, coconut oil, um, shortening. It could be any type of fat. Uh, it just depends what works well in your recipe. You can also cook with hash or keef and kind of forego having to make butter and oil. So I go into that in the book, how to do that, which is very easy and an uh, easy way to measure and uh, modulate. Excuse me, I'm losing my voice today. Um, I also in the book go into how you can adapt your own favorite recipes. So if you have things that you like to make, how to adapt those to cooking with cannabis. Awesome. For those just joining, I'm talking with cannabis Sherry Sicard. She's the author of the Cannabis Gourmet Cookbook. Um, so what are your some of your favorite recipes, whether it be a dessert or an entree? Well, they're all my babies, so I like them all. But I often like savory recipes better because I think it blends um, better with the natural flavors in cannabis. Um, there are some people who like the flavor of cannabis, the actual taste of it in cooking. I don't. Um, Oh, and I know most people I talk to don't really like that, that green flavor in their foods. So it's easier to blend that or and or mask that in strongly flavored foods and often in savory foods. Uh, the New Orleans barbecue shrimp that's on the cover of my book is one of my favorites. It uses a lot of rosemary, and that's one of the herbs I find actually blends well with the flavor of cannabis. Um, I have some great cookies in there if you do like sweet stuff. There's over 120 recipes for everything from brunch dishes, soups, salads, entrees, desserts, um, beverages, which is a quick and easy way to get medicine into your food. So there's a huge variety of recipes, as well as all the instructional info you need to successfully cook with cannabis. Awesome. Have you ever tried any recipes that call for the use of hemp seeds, hemp seed oil, or any kind of hemp seed variation? Um, I'm just starting to get into that. Um, we've been working a lot of the cannabis shows, like the um, the Cannabis Cup and Kush Expos, and I just picked up some hemp flour and hemp seeds and are getting into using it. And uh, I'm really liking the results, especially with the hemp flour, because you're adding protein to your recipes, making it more nutritious that oh, yeah. way. 
it's not anything that's going to get you high, but it is better for you. Um, I just made some banana bread with it last night. And in addition to being sweet, we all, I used all whole grains and the hemp, which helps the protein content. So it's actually kind of a well-balanced snack. Mm-hmm. Uh, actually, I made a um, uh, I used hemp seed flour not too long ago, and it definitely adds a lot of uh, uh, the hemp seed has a really great kind of nutty flavor because uh, I mean mm-hmm. it's sort of it's sort of like a it's sort of like peanuts that it's you know kind of like a has that has a, a nut type of a property to it, and it obviously full of uh, omega three and six fatty acids with a you know proper ratio of those. Uh, um, and, and of course, most hemp seeds are grown. You know, nobody in Canada is genetically modifying hemp seeds. Do you right. do you recommend that people find ingredients that are not genetically modified? Um, personally, yeah, I do. But um, it's very difficult to do, and you've got to be diligent. But um, I'm definitely on that bandwagon. Yes, mm-hmm. definitely. I mean, uh, going back to what you said, you know, that it's hard to do because companies can't even independently test their own food and freely label it as non-GMO thanks to FDA regulations because uh, our wonderful President Obama appointed somebody from Monsanto to head the FDA. Um, so they, How they, about that? Yeah, they, they actually, in order to have a non-G, or non-GMO label, they kind of like have to do like a kind of a reach, like a, a, you know, jump through over hoops, like go through this third-party organization like Non-GMO Project which probably has limited mm-hmm. resources to label everybody. So, you know, they, they have to get approved by them and then get their seal rather than, you know, doing it independently and cutting costs. Um, so, and, and then they put patents on these GMO seeds and then harass small farmers into using their seeds or getting sued. So what, what's your take on the GMO monopoly and how they won't even allow free market labeling, let alone uh, crushing initiatives like uh, Amendment or uh, Prop 30, 37? It's... Well, I don't even know where to begin. Um, since my main cause right now is cannabis, <laughs> I haven't gotten into that because that's another whole battle that goes as deep as cannabis too, um, and it has its fingers in a lot of different areas, just as cannabis does. So, mm-hmm. uh, it's something I definitely vote against and try to spread the word about. But I'm not the mm-hmm. a great spokesman for that. Mm-hmm. Well, there, um, I mean, I think uh, Washington is trying to get a similar initiative, uh, and they actually, I think they gathered like enough signatures or something in a, in a very short amount of time. Mm-hmm. That's great. I'm glad to hear it. Um, we had that in California. Unfortunately, big corporations came in and put their money behind the opposition and it was defeated. Mm-hmm. So uh, what, what's the future for activism here in California, get, given that plenty of cities are trying to pass ordinances protecting medical cannabis? And, and do you think we have a shot at getting a legalization initiative for uh, 2014 or 2016? One of those, yeah, I, I hope so, and there's lots of work to be done. Uh, unfortunately, what I'm seeing is a lot of infighting in the movement, much like we saw last time, and that's discouraging to me. I think we all need to get together behind one single initiative, and it's not going to be perfect. There's going to be people who are not going to like some of the things in it, but we've got to look at the bigger picture. Um, I think what happened last time in the last election, having three or four different initiatives just confuses the public and undermines everyone's efforts. There's a very limited amount of funding and support money to go around. I personally don't want to see that divided. I would like to see one single initiative that we all can get behind and work for. Mm -hmm. Definitely. Uh, so what are some of your future plans and what can our, where can our listeners follow you online? Thanks. 
um, just going to be fighting for the cause until it's legalized all over and people stop going to jail for a plant. So that's my future plans. Uh, online, you can always follow, find me at my blog, CannabisSherry.com, and Sherry is spelled C-H-E-R-I, CannabisSherry.com. Um, we're also on Facebook. Um, you can find me there on Twitter. Also, uh, I am the leader for the Normal Women's Alliance in L.A. County. So we have a Facebook page for that. If you're interested in getting involved with the Women's Alliance, hit me up about that. And you don't have to be a woman. We love men in the Women's Alliance. That's the smart men. Know that's where the women are. All right. Well, thank you very much for stopping by the program. I've been talking with Cannabis Sherry Sicard. She is the author of the Cannabis Gourmet Cookbook and also an activist with the Normal Women's Alliance of L.A. Sherry, thank you very much for stopping by the program. Thanks so much, Alex. Be sure again to visit her website at CannabisSherry.com. I'm pretty sure the book is available through Amazon. Uh, And you're listening to KKSM Oceanside, AM 1320, Cox Cable Channel 957, PalomarCollegeRadio.com. This show has its own dedicated live page. You go to FreeThoughtMedia.org slash live.html. Um... I'm not too good at website editing yet, so I, I want to get freethoughtradio-live so you could just go straight without the HTML. But it has both the KKSM audio feed and as well as a video-only feed of, like, the webcam here in the studio. <laughs> and um, a couple, you know, screenshots, like, cool pictures and album art of the songs that are playing. They're both on the same page, so you could view them both at the same time. you got to click play on both. One's video-only, so it's not much of a point without the radio part. Um, here, here on Free Thought Radio, but it's uh, it is 7:30, and that means that it's time for your KKSM news brief. And yes, I have the news sounder. <laughs> All right, only part of the State of the Union this time, but um, I'm going to talk about the opening part. Tragically, Obama claims an end to the, a decade of war, and is met with a standing ovation at the State of the Union address. And now, this standing ovation was even more eerie. And that laughter I have at the intro of the show when Obama's making a joke about drones. I mean, there is one problem here with that, is that a decade of war has not ended. It has maintained, expanded, and even gotten more inhuman. Obama has given George Bush two more terms and some Lance Armstrong steroids to go along with that. A standing ovation from the same Congress that won't challenge the president on sending drones into countries we haven't declared war on. The same Congress that won't recognize that we are killing innocent civilians and children with these drones. And then they're giving a standing ovation to an end of the decade of war. Um, It seemed to me as if it was a fluff fest for gluttonous murderers and war criminals. Uh, President Obama said that we will be bringing... 30,000 troops home, but that's the same number of troops he escalated uh, Afghanistan to within 2010, so really just bringing it back to the level he inherited the war as. Uh, and that also will be out by 2014. So, so this doublespeak is rectified when he says that we will continue to be over there past 2014, training Afghan forces and protecting the government. Uh, we have been doing that already, uh, for pretty much the past 11 years of the war, we have eliminated Al-Qaeda and the Taliban pretty much 11 years ago. Not, not even like a year or six months after we started it, we were pretty much done with that. And we should have left then 
and we should leave now. These Afghan forces are killing our own troops, and we are going to be propping up a puppet government that the Afghan people do not want. The Taliban came as a result of the CIA funding Al-Qaeda, Mujahideen, and the Taliban to fight the Soviets. So other than the Taliban, uh, who, whose power can be attributed to that CIA intervention in the 80s, Afghan, Afghanis have never really had a central government. Uh, we will be staying there past 24, you can guarantee it, making Afghanistan the longest war still ongoing. He also mentioned Yemen, whose government oppresses their own people. And, and they take uh, and to mask our drone massacres there, the Yemeni government often takes credit for those drone strikes. And we're talking about the Arabian Peninsula in the State of the Union address. Uh, the different extremist al-Qaeda groups he referred to are all in countries we are dropping drones in. Uh, except most people we kill, we don't know who they are. And the 2% accuracy of drone strikes put civilians at risk. And at the same time, we are funding such extremist groups like al-Qaeda who are inside the Libyan and Syrian rebellion groups and, and propping up dictators like Bahrain, Saudi Arabia, Israel, Afghanistan, and Yemen, showing the utter hypocrisy of our foreign policy. And now in national news, uh, military is giving medal for, medals for drones. Uh, I was extremely disgusted when the only time the mainstream news mentioned drones was for this. Uh, CNN's only drone reporting was that drones will get medals of honor. Those should be reserved for our troops, who not only are out there on the front lines, but they're actually taking an oath to uphold the Constitution, and can they have the power then to disobey unconstitutional orders. And they also do not have the same risk of cognitive dissonance from killing someone from a cubicle in America. Um, while some drone operators are with Air Force, many are, are secret operatives or kids off the street, like, you know, how the TSA hires people, uh, hired by the CIA. And, of course, the kill list and targets are all determined by John Brennan and the CIA, even before John Brennan was nominated to be the head of the CIA. We, we, should, we, should, we should be awarding criminal charges for international war crimes to these drones, not medals. Um, and in other national news, Obama issues cybersecurity executive order. Now, the late Aaron Swartz referred to CISPA as the Patriot Act for the Internet, allowing a loop of information sharing to be completely open between IP providers, social networking sites, and uh, the Department of Defense and Department of Homeland Security to gather endless amounts of information on people. The rhetoric may be to defend against some sort of... Um, cyber terrorism but the reality is that this will be used to keep tabs on people who are politically aware or act and or active uh, to scuff out people from anonymous who do heroic things like get information of federal reserve bankers and way more orwellian surveillance of our personal online presences obama had gone over congress's heads and passed you know cispa by executive order uh, citing fears of cyber terrorism in the State of the Union address. There's not much real cyber terrorism. Uh, they just want a fear monger in order to get legal authority to increase their ability to take down Anonymous, who in my view are more like Ben Franklin than they are Osama bin Laden. 
Their definition of cyber threats are as vague and broad as the rules for putting someone on the kill list. Such threats include website defacement, espionage, theft of intellectual property, denial of service attacks, and destructive malware. Uh, in other national news, uh, the NYPD will no longer be uh, placing small-level marijuana possession arrestees in jail. Rather, they will be letting them go and giving them a ticket to appear in court. In other national news, Ron Paul is uh, set to host a radio show. Ron Paul's America will be uh, short, twice-daily syndicated commentary as well as a weekly podcast. Uh, not sure if there's an official website or, or anything yet. In international news, Shia Muslims in Pakistan are under threat by Sunnis. A bombing by pro-Sunni uh, sectarian group has killed 84 people in a market in Quetta, Pakistan, causing outrage for the minority Shiite population who thinks the Pakistani government should do more to prevent such terrorism. Uh, the sect has ties to the Taliban, which of course was fueled and trained heavily by the CIA in the 80s. So is it any wonder that the U.S. government literally creates terrorism lasting uh, and lasting organizations to continue to carry it out to this day? Not only against the United States, but against, you know, their own people, since the CIA gave them military and weaponry training and everything like that. There was a mysterious death of an Israeli prisoner in 2010, uh, of which is just being revealed. Prisoner X, who was actually Ben Zigier, an Australian national who immigrated to Israel to work for the government, uh, died in prison. The government turned on him when he found out sensitive information or, or released such information. He was placed in a suicide-proof maximum security cell, and his identity was even hidden from per prison personnel. He was literally Prisoner X. Like many Israeli spies, Ziggier often tra traveled back to Australia under different names uh, since the Israeli government steals and duplicates or makes fake passports and identities for Mossad agents. Ziggier may have turned this scheme over to a Kuwaiti publication, as well as admitting to his own role in the assassination of an arms dealer in Dubai. Uh, the, the passports may not have been why he was anonymously in prison, but the assassination was. He likely discovered how Mossad were impersonating CIA in order to stir up terrorism by fringe groups in Iran, uh, in order to destabilize the country, uh, which of course uh, successfully resulted in a suicide bombing by uh, against the Iranian National Guards by whatever organization they helped uh, fuel and train, much like the CIA helped out Al-Qaeda, uh, basically a false flag operation. Uh, Ziggier may have been murdered given the suicide-proof cell. You know, a scary testament to the Israeli government's espionage organization. And... Um, um, in other news, Dick Cheney is a fan of Obama's drone policies. So um, uh, Cheney is not the first of many of our nation's most notorious war criminals, neoconservatives, and empire apologists to support this policy. Uh, remember when the editor of the Weekly Standard, Bill Kristol, praised Obama for being a, a born-again neoconservative? That's that's really, really scary to me, um, you know, with the whole thing about change and, and going away from the neoconservative presidency, imperial presidency. That was George Bush. Wow. Well, it is 54 degrees out here in San Marcos, 
And the only problem areas uh, in your traffic will be at the 805 northbound at um, the north on-ramp of uh, V8, I believe. Uh, and it's a 49 miles per hour slowdown. Um, Alex Fiddle here, broadcasting live from KKSM. That was the news. All right. Now this next song I want to play has to tie into my last guest about cooking uh, with cannabis, of course. And I'm a cook. I, I've been uh, engaging in a bit of cooking myself. Um, made some really awesome enchiladas because I like, you know, when I when I could cook, I could then get all the ingredients and I know what's in. I could make sure I get the least amount of genetically modified ingredients. Um, there's some amount of, you know, BS to organic, but unfortunately, the organic label is the only way you can know if something's not genetically modified, um, unless it has that specific label. If it has the non-GMO label and it's not organic, you know, no big deal. The organic thing is not the concern to me. The genetically modified, you know, that's the gene gene makeup of the plant. You know, the nutrients that were derived in nature uh, to feed us the specific way uh, that, you know, we uh, are also chemically made up of. To change those nutrients, you know, I have a feeling that one day, you know, with all the pesticides we're spraying on the farm, you know, leaving solids and deposits in the soil, um... Since, you know, uh, you know, if we do have a monetary collapse or, or, or at least, you know, a severe reduction of the supply because of hyperinflation, uh, we wouldn't be able to really grow our own food. You know, all the all the seeds would be genetically modified. Um, the soil would be filled with, with pesticides and poisons. And and of course, um, you know, we we have no access to uh, industrial hemp to grow to grow our own hemp seeds like the Chinese did and and when they had a famine to you know basically live off hemp seeds you know one uh, you know are are we finally going to realize that you know the Monsanto monopoly is a harm to us uh only when you know we're kind of left in that situation where the store the corporate store shelves are bare and we have to fend for ourselves to find our own food but we can't grow it because of the the poor conditions or the lack of seeds or, you know, denutrient uh, 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 GMO foods, you know, when we're finally sitting and starving, uh, are we then going to realize that we've all kind of been making a mistake here uh, to our planet? I, I hope not. I hope we can go back to um, to that and uh, maybe start testing the soil that we have, uh, see about those uh, uh, deposits left over by pesticides and and then maybe try to clean up our soil somehow. I know that when you grow hemp, it actually improves the quality of the soil. But even then, you know, chemical residue within the soil from pesticides, uh, the, you know, there should be uh, some research on there. Not government funded, of course, but let's say you abolish agricultural subsidies to pay for Monsanto's GMO foods and farms and corporate farms. Reduce those subsidies, give it either back to the taxpayers who will then create research agencies, you know, to maybe study soil or or create new ways of labeling or and testing GMO foods, uh, and especially you know creating more companies. Since I'm sure the non-GMO project verified has so much on their hands already, they can't test everybody. But yeah, it's a, it's it's an unfortunate situation that we have with this monopoly from from Monsanto, and, and the mainstream media is not going to talk about this. So this is food by the Turtles, excellent song. Uh, going to get you thinking about food. Uh, I'll, I'll try to discuss more about, you know, things I try, try and cook up and maybe give you guys some ideas or maybe at least, you know, make you hungry or, 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 or something, give you the munchies. 
Um, but anyways, you're listening to KKSM, AM 1320, The Radio Revolution, Food by the Turtles, and then Joe the Lion by David Bowie after this.
The views and opinions expressed on this program are those of the host and not of KKSM, Palomar College, its staff, the board of directors, or station management. You're listening to KKSM, Palomar College Radio. KKSM. I couldn't be more excited about this. When people hear me describing it over the radio, they are going to remember that AM radio is a viable and modern source for news and entertainment. KKSM. KKSM. Oh, I used to be number one in this town, but people don't listen to AM like they used to. Seems like it's more about FM and color TV. That's stupid. KKSM AM 1320. Cox Cable Channel 957 and PalomarCollegeRadio.com. KKSM, the radio revolution. This is the big one, boys. This is the one that brings us back. KKSM. It is literally AM radio in San Diego. You know what that means. You stay classy, San Diego. Soon, AM radio will reign king once more. (laughs) (laughs) Welcome back to the show. This is Free Thought Radio. I'm your host, Alex Fiddle. Mondays from 6 p.m. to 9 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. Be sure to check out the new site, uh, freethoughtmedia.org. I'll also be sure to give the show a like on Facebook, facebook.com slash freethoughtradio and facebook.com slash kksmradio uh, for the station. So those last two songs you heard were Joe the Lion by David Bowie and before that, Food by Turtles. And I didn't even know that song was about pot, but I looked up the lyrics and one of the ingredients they were listing off was was pot. And then <laughs> then uh, talking about those brownies at the end of the, uh, end of the song there. But... um. One of the uh, campaign slogans of Prop 19 was the dare to think for yourself, not, you know, like a play off the, you know, the dare propaganda campaign, you know, the propaganda wing of the DEA, and of course, Big Pharma as well. And this ties into the next song, which is called Individual Thought Patterns, and it's by a band called Death, and before I get into that, I want to give a big shout out. Um, to Pat Egan, who passed away recently. He was the sales director of Relapse Records, who has been so awesome in reissuing um, Death albums and Control the Night albums and really doing uh, the legacy of Chuck Schuldiner some justice, um, not only with er- Eric Greif and, 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 every, and uh, everybody else. Um, so this is, this is uh, dedicated, dedicated to Pat for, for bringing us this wonderful reissue uh, to pay tribute uh, to the late Chuck Schuldiner as well, um, and of course, you can see on the got my uh, death sweatshirt. Uh, thank you to Relapse again for you know. Uh, um, of course, this this is uh, came out in the Relapse uh, package deal. Um, it's the human sweatshirt, uh, but this out uh, this song is off of the uh, individual thought patterns album, self title or uh, uh, title track, and then after that, the space for this by Cynic. So you're listening to KKSM AM 1320, The Radio Revolution, Individual Thought Patterns by Death, and then The Space for This by Cynic. Be right back. Stay tuned for the rest of the show. Die so easily. We're both in one 
Hallmarkcollegeradio.com. Welcome back to Free Thought Radio. Those last two songs you heard 
were the space for this by Cynic, and before that, Individual Thought Patterns by Death. And uh, up next, I got two songs. Uh, the first one being Absolutely Free by Frank Zappa, and then after that, You Really Got Me by Oingo Boingo, the Van Halen cover. We'll be right back with some more Free Thought Radio, KKSM, The Radio Revolution. Discorporate. It means to leave your body. Discorporate and come with me. Shifting, drifting, cloudless, starless, velvet valleys and the sapphire sea.
and opinions expressed on this program are those of the host and not of KKSM, Palomar College, its staff, the board of directors, or station management. You're listening to KKSM, Palomar College Radio.
From coast to coast, from sea to shining sea. From Indian burial grounds to the Overlook Hotel. From the depths of Mount Doom to the hilltops of Valhalla. From trailer park country to Texas Chainsaw Territory. Broadcasting live from the campus of Palomar College. This is KKSM. 500 watts never sounded so good. To improve it is the task of us all. Tonight, thanks to the grit and determination of the American people, there is much progress to report. After a decade of grinding war, our brave men and women in uniform are coming home. That, that is precisely the thing, not even two minutes into the speech, not even two minutes into the speech, and they're giving a standing ovation on the end of war. When we have been engaging not only uh, other countries with drones, but we have been covertly, through CIA operations, creating rebellions in other countries, intervening in their internal affairs which is no different than what the Bush administration did with Iraq and Afghanistan, no different than what we've been doing since the 50s. Remember when we went into Iran, overthrew the democratically elected leader, and uh, installed him with the Shah. This is just the same things happening over and over again, only this time with robots in the sky. And the troops coming home, again, we're going to stay in Afghanistan past 2024, we may be bringing our troops home, but we're going to have our influence there. I think the, the purpose is not only bringing our troops home, getting our influence out of those countries. Stop deciding their, the future of their, uh, their lives uh, because we think we know what's best for them. We don't. And we certainly, uh, you know, creating war for them, killing them, creating war-torn countries. I saw some pictures of Afghanistan before the before. Um, you know, they had, you know, uh, the, the U.S. come in and, and uh, train Al-Qaeda and Taliban against the Soviets. You know, after that, it's just been nothing but war uh, or at least oppression by the Taliban. Uh, and it was, you know, it was quite an awesome city. And the problem with war is that you bomb things. You bomb valuables. You bomb memorabilia, history, um, so much stuff like art um, that will never get discovered again because it's been obliterated. And a standing ovation for an end to the decade of war. If you want to look at a lie being held between four walls, that was uh, the Senate floor where they were all sitting and, and watching this address. You know, forget about Obama. What about all those people that are that have voted for the wars? Have uh, don't don't care about these drone strikes overseas? You know, the most we get is from Rand Paul. But he's concerned about American citizens. I don't care. Who gives a crap about American citizens? What about the, the fact that we're killing people overseas? Uh, half, uh, you know, they're on the other side of the world. We're deciding their death from the other side of the world without them being, being able to face their accuser. Any, and, and as Martin Luther King said, an injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. So if it happened, we, that's the, you know, the tragedy of, of Americans thinking right now is that, oh, it's not happening to me or Americans, so it's okay. You know, who cares about those, you know, 
Muslims, or or, I don't even want to try to use any of the hateful terms that these people use, but, you know, because they're bad people, we have to bomb them. Uh, it, it it's it's sad and and just that standing ovation is just leaves a makes me almost want to puke and you know then he goes into talking about the economy that how we've created six million more jobs even though our economy is technically shrinking obviously when you have a monetary inflation you're having more money chase the same amount of goods and the cost of living is going up for everybody. So we have to work more to c- catch up with rising prices. So eventually that's just going to result in less productivity because, you know, to ship things, it's going to cost gas. And the shipping costs, eventually it's going gonna, it's gonna to go from the cost of uh, rising costs for consumers to rising costs for businesses. Um, that we have more American cars. Do we need any more cars? I mean, uh, who needs a new car every year? I do we, uh, unless you really need it, but just buying a new car for the sake of doing that, you know, that's just the myth that we're instilling people that, oh, you should spend money. It's going to stimulate the economy, whether you need it or not. Why can't you use a clunker that's already perfectly working because it, we really need new cars? Like we need new housing. You know, it's, we're saying we're using less foreign oil, but we're building this Keystone pipeline. And, you know, we're not employing any m- means of alternative energy. Uh, and not just wind and solar, which is heavily subsidized and a heavily in- inefficient manner. But what about looking into forms uh, of biofuels like from hemp, which you can grow, uh, you can grow uh, enough hemp to make a house in eight months. And, and certainly looking into forms of free energy, which Nikola Tesla was uh, engaging in uh, before uh, his, he was thrown into a legal battle because a lot of people stole his patents is pointing to housing market healing but again like i said you know do we really need a bunch of new track houses or mcmansions in in olivenheim uh here in encinitas or in encinitas or or, or or del mar shouldn't we be like opening up new land to farming or production so we could get get people to have jobs or conservation or you know it, w- w- what the housing bubble was is the federal reserve and uh, sets interest rates near zero and then congress uh, precipitates the right regulatory framework, you know, uh, uh, um, guaranteeing that housing loans. So then uh, uh, people in Wall Street can, you know, jack up the cost of houses uh, to jack up the cost of mortgages because no matter what, nobody pays them back. They're just going to get paid back by ta- by tax dollars or Federal Reserve printing money for them. Uh, so there, it's an easy way to get rich quick with no with no risk. You know, easy way to raise prices to get rich uh, artificially with no with no risk. So what happens is all these uh, resources, limited resources that exist in the productive, naturally occurring sectors of the economy, are then sucked off, redirected into the housing industry because they're the favorite favorite industry. They have the most lobbying power, the most pull with the bankers and the Federal Reserve, and, and so. Th- all the all the overinvestment and malinvestment, uh, you know, raises the prices. You know, just like with guaranteeing student loans, the co- that means that colleges can raise their tuitions no matter what they want. They'll still get paid back, even if it's not by you. It could be from the taxpayers or f- straight from the Fed's printing press. You know, that's what causes prices to go up when they're subsidized, guaranteed by the government. And and, and then you know, obviously the bubble bursts. And now we're trying to reinflate it. So who cares if housing is healing? I mean, do we really need more McMansions? Couldn't we, use, couldn't we have more th- productive things that would put, put 
not just put people people work for the sake of it, but actually, you know, production, maybe like a hemp farm, you know, not only can you farm for hemp, but then uh, that hemp can get turned into a house or concrete or alternative energy. You know, just that endless chain of jobs from a naturally, you don't even have to, it'll occur naturally because it's been completely blocked off. It'll just grow to its natural level. And, um, and then corporate profits, you know, that goes straight into hemp illegality. Um, you know, why are corporate profits so high? Because they've regulated their competition out of existence. Obama claims, you know, to, you know, be against the 1%. But look who sat on uh, his economic board. Jeff Immel of GE, largest military contractor. Think of all the deaths around the world. You could blame it on GE. And, you know, of course, the bankers that fund both sides of every war. He he gave them because of their special loopholes. GE ended up having to pay zero. So you you, you uh, there are certain corporations that do pay zero percent tax thanks to their special connections to the Obama administration. Not uh, you know continuing Bush's policies, uh, and and now those same tax credits during this last budget deal extended to Citigroup, Goldman Sachs, GE again. So corporate profits that are all time high because corporatism is at all-time saturation uh, because government has gotten so big um, and, and government of the many just not 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 just the few well I I, I I'd, uh, urge uh, President Obama to check out the Bilderberg group oh wait never mind he already did back in 2008 with Hillary Clinton you know the you know people less than 300 people deciding you know the fate of the world you know, the, the Bilderbergs, the uh, Council on Foreign Relations, Trila Trilateral Commission. And, you know, he, he, he always mentions both parties working together. That's the scary part. You know, you know saying that he agrees with Governor Romney, I don't, why is that a good thing? Why is bipartisanship a good thing? Uh, in the end, the two parties have really just become an amorphous blob. And, and look at the funders. Obama's funders for the campaign were the same as Romney's, Goldman Sachs. All these financial institutions. Is it any wonder that there's no difference in policy? So I think it's too much bipartisanship, and and with the two-party system, you know, he he went to talk about we're losing our civil liberties. Not not the Patriot Act, not FISA, not SOPA, not CISPA, not the NDAA. No voting lines, and that's what really irked me because I was a volunteer for Gary Johnson, and you know, just the cause of independence and, 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 and electoral freedom from this two-party stranglehold, you know, to see, like, you know, the absolute corruption, seeing right into the belly of the beast why uh, third-party candidates are excluded, not because they can't, they don't have good ideas or, or, or that they can't win. No. They're excluded because they don't serve the corporate and banker and military industrial complex agenda. Simple as that. That's why the Republican delegate count was scripted. The Ron Paul delegates were not going to get seated because John Boehner was reading from a teleprompter the count of the delegates. So somebody two weeks before that happened already decided that Romney was going to, or at least even the delegates are not going to get seated. Uh, you know, it's, it's, it's an absolute sham, a dog and pony show. And no, no nothing about the two-party sham as, as in regards to voting freedom. Um... No, no, no shout out, no solidarity with us here in California over our, our crappy top two system. Um, you know, you know, so if he wants to talk about freedom, uh, he, he didn't mention the Patriot Act or anything that he renewed. 
He didn't mention, uh, you know, this fraudulent two-party system that's causing less voter freedom. No, it was vo voting lines and voting that, that, is, that is less freedom. Um, I, I don't think that's more of freedom. I think that's just more of, you know, physics of, of people moving in a line, fitting into a certain location. Um, certainly not a lack of freedom issue. And, and the green ribbons. The last thing I want to talk about. The green ribbons really... Uh, about the Sandy Hook massacre again going back to the you know the standing ovation for this so supposed end of war They're so easy to get to, to get the tearjerker effect over over children that die here in America And that's not to take away that tragedy. It is a tragedy and those sickos that killed them, you know deserve to be punished But going back to this, you know them applauding to the supposed end of war, which is not happening. We've escalated the wars We've expanded them um, They're wearing green ribbons talking about children we've killed you know, 10 Sandy Hooks, you know, 100, uh, you know, who knows how many Sandy Hooks massacres worth of children in Pakistan, Yemen, Somalia, Afghanistan, any, every other country that we have drones. We killed a 16-year-old kid who was an American citizen simply because his father was also killed by a drone strike because he was merely suspected of terrorism. Their excuse? His father should have been more responsible. So if they really want to wear green ribbons for killing children, they ought to have not stood up for that standing ovation for the end of a war. They should have sat down and people should have been screaming, what about drones, Mr. President? And besides, green ribbons are supposed to be for medical cannabis. So what an insult. What an insult this whole fluff fest of a state of a union was and it's not even just it's not even President Obama. It's the whole Congress. It's down to your state legislatures, your local government, your city councils. Your city councils are all sitting ducks for federal policy. They get federal dollars for, uh, you know. Now again, going back to the point where we shouldn't. Obama said we shouldn't have weapons of war on the street. Well, all these grants are giving police officers tanks. Uh, you know, this is all for you know fighting supposed domestic terrorism. This is going to be a war on the people. Uh, you know, again, uh, you know, going back to the kind of Orwellian state we live in, if the people don't have guns but the cops do, at some point, that's going to be abused. And may I put it this way, the Jews in Germany were indefinitely detained. You know, they didn't, nobody gave them a purpose of why they were detained. They were just detained because they had to wear that golden star on their jacket. In, and they were indefinitely detained, no charge, no trial. That's what the NDAA does. And having only the cops have guns in that situation, they're going to use that just to take away people in the dark. So I want to get to the next few songs here. Um, I think this actually is going to be one song before the, the break. Um, this is Fascist Pig by Suicidal Tendencies here on KKSM AM 1320. The Radio Revolution.
Turn on the radio. Sure, what you want to listen to? What's this? Oh, Creed. Oh, I got to change the Oh, yeah, yeah. Creed again? Creed oh, off. Just turn it off. Oh, oh. There's nothing good on corporate rock radio stations, and all the talk radio stations just have a bunch of immigrant-hating, xenophobic conservatives. What gives? What you want to listen to, man? Oh, I know. A heavy metal DJ that plays other genres that continuously to get ignored by mainstream radio suits who's also a libertarian. They don't have anything like that. Actually, they do. Huh. It's Free Thought Radio every Monday from 6 p.m. to 9 p.m. only on KKSM. Oh, tune in then. AM the views and opinions expressed on this program are those of the host and not of KKSM, Palomar College, its staff, the board of directors, or station management. You're listening to KKSM, Palomar College Radio. The most sexually dangerous radio station in San Diego. Do you have any control over how creepy you allow yourself to get? Okay, so we added sexually in there, but we have hired better security. KKSM, the radio revolution. Welcome back to Freethought Radio. Check out freethoughtmedia.org. Going to be the official site for the show. I know my posts on Facebook are kind of like just a blogish, but Facebook's not very conducive to that, so I will soon have a blog so I could not have paragraphs upon paragraphs for people to read on the facebook.com slash freethoughtradio. But it's uh, 8.30, time for the KKSM News Brief. In state news... New audio by KTLA captures police officers saying, burn it down, burn the mother effort down, in regards to the Chris Dorner cabin, uh, before the tear gas canisters or some other catalyst caused the fire. So it is no coincidence, no uh, mistake that they intentionally tried to kill Chris Dorner. The police are denying such claims, but the raw evidence proves otherwise especially since Dorner was not even investigated to get concrete proof on the allegations of his crimes. Now, even if he is guilty, this precedent opens up the reins to some scary police tactics to shoot at people, burn people alive, based off a mere suspicion or allegation without a chance to face your accuser or at least have solid evidence to back it up. I'm not a fan of Chris Dorner or his tactics, but many ex-LAPD cops especially African-American ones, have said that Dorner's claims of massive racism and corruption are for the most part true. If he were brought in alive, the press may have been able to investigate his claims. So that leaves one to speculate if the LAPD was so steadfast on killing him so they could, in order to silence uh, such allegations against the police department, uh, for the police to, you know, po police <laughs> allegations against the police force, you know, pretty much killing them to cover their asses. <clears throat> In national news, I talked about tre Treasury Secretary Jack Lew got some bailouts from the government, got huge bonuses, and, uh, you know, Obama talking in his State of the Union about the 1%. You know, I just can't, you know, believe these lies anymore. You know, just, you know, going going back and finding out the history of the Federal Reserve, who really pulls the strings in our country, who really benefits the 1%. You know, any talk by Democratic elected politicians on the 1% is all theater. You look behind the podium and whose hand is up their ass so far that it's moving their mouth. It's 
the big banks and the big corporations, the real 1%. And you know what? It's even less than 1% when you look into groups like the Bilderberg Group and, and, uh, and so on and so forth. And I also talked about giving military medals for drones. You know, that's the only time CNN ever reported on drones was to give them medals. Not that they're killing children or they could be used on American citizens. We should be awarding criminal charges for international war crimes to these drones, not medals. These medals belong with our troops, people, and the ones that are actually on the ground. Because when you're in a cubicle on the other side of the planet, there's a cognitive dissonance there. You know, you don't feel the same... Uh, way when you actually take someone's life. Um, Cornel West uh, calls Obama a war criminal. Professor Cornel West, a prominent African-American academic activist and, and social leader, has likened Obama to a war criminal, saying that the chickens have come home to roost in reference to the drone wars, which caused many deaths of innocent Muslim children and civilians overseas. Now, uh, in, other, in other national news, rapper 2 Chains was arrested for marijuana, but at the station, he got a photo op. You know, are, are they just arresting celebrities to get their pictures with them? At the police station, someone, who the Maryland State Police will not acknowledge who, took a candid fanboy picture with a celebrity rapper while under arrest. In international news, I talked uh, earlier about the Shia Muslims in Pakistan who are under threat by Sunnis. Uh, uh, and the Sunni groups in, in Pakistan, not all of them, but, you know, just a, a faction that is taking up this terrorism, uh, are connected to the Taliban. And where do the Taliban get their military training, their original weapons, their financing? They got it from the U.S., the CIA, uh, you know, Donald Rumsfeld, uh, Dick Cheney, all the familiar faces of government meddling in foreign affairs so much as to create the terrorist groups that still exist today. So... The Shiites in Pakistan are still paying for the consequences of our treating the world like a chess game. The UN says that both sides are, are committing war crimes in Syria. To not support the war against Syria is not to support Assad's, Assad's regime. You know, I'm not a fan of his, but um, given that the UN, who, who usually stands by and supports interventionism, you know, the, the kind of globalist, you know, uh, New World Order thing, uh, they're kind of after or representing um they have now stood up and and declared both sides to be guilty of war crimes you know of course Assad is but that's no reason for us to get involved we're going to create a new Taliban or a new Al-Qaeda in the mean which is what we're doing the U.S. has been funding and aiding directly or indirectly especially with non-monetary aid like covert CIA operatives the Syrian rebellion who has many ranks of Al-Qaeda within them and have taken over towns to create religious police and expelling and, and killing Christians and, and uh, minority sect Muslims or, or ones that, uh, that are not represented amongst the rebellion. Uh, so aside from the persecution of Bradley Manning, the Libyan and Syrian interventions have been Hillary Clinton's hallmark in helping aiding and abetting those uprisings, much like George Bush. So, uh, you know, a peace sign next to an Obama sticker or hopes for Hillary Clinton 2016? No way. I'm not even going for Rand Paul because I, I don't agree with I, I think he uh, he's not as as uh, principal that is as his father and even then he's just gonna get scripted out of the delegate count like his father was you know the Republicans are just gonna 
put on a sham convention and, and not give him the nomination. So I'm hoping for Gary Johnson or, or whoever the Libertarian nominee may be or, or the Jesse Ventura Howard Stern ticket that uh, is so elusive right now. So the U.S. is very much responsible for causing civil war and fueling the questionable factions within the rebellion in Syria to commit war crimes. So the, yes, the U.S. is committing war crimes. The rebellion is committing war crimes. And the U.S. is, you know, committing war crimes since they are uh, aiding and abetting the Syrian uh, rebellion. And, and whether that's directly or, or indirectly, like giving uh, Israel a green light to attack Syria whenever they want, you know, do our bidding for them so we don't have to technically be in a war. That's, inter that's meddling. What's the, you know, uh, meddling is pretty much an act of war, whether we get somebody to do it for us or not. I previously talked about the mysterious death of Israeli prisoner X, who's really Ben Zegar, uh, died in 2010. Um, former Mossad agent, but I think he did leak some information to the press um, about a few things. Uh, of course, the uh, how the uh, uh, Israeli uh, espionage agency often produces fake passports and other and other ways of, of of similar behavior as well as uh you know the assassination of an arms dealer in dubai and and, and most uh the one that probably got him in jail was that he reported on a false flag operation by the Mossad which um they were impersonating US CIA with fake US passports to uh stir up terrorism in Iran so they went so, you know, there's all this talk about how Iran is an ex existential threat to Israel. So why were these Israeli spies going and hanging out with fringe terrorist groups in Iran, meaning Iranian terrorist groups uh, who are against the government? Um, so like the CIA really goes into other countries like Syria and causes covert rebellions, the Israeli spy agency was impersonating CIA, doing kind of the same thing, but in Iran... And that fringes Iranian terrorist group uh, suicide bombs some Iranian national guards. You know, uh, so yeah, <laughs> scary. Uh, in other international news, the UK is spending three million pounds to guard Julian Assange. This waste of resources would not occur if they would just stop persecuting whistleblowers in the first place. And uh, in other international news, Palestinians rally for jailed hunger striker Samer Isawi who is failing in health after a year-long hunger strike, is serving in an Israeli prison. He was originally released for a prisoner swap, but was arrested again recently. Supporters rallied and clashed with troops on the border, uh, and the troops uh, being the instigators here, moving in on the Palestinian village where the supporters were gathering and attacked the people, who then threw rocks back at the, at the troops. No one was killed, but many injured. Unfortunately, the message of the hunger strike goes on deaf ears when the mainstream media ignores the story. Some good news. Czech Republic approves medical cannabis, a hotbed for people who get it on the issue, such as the curator for Rick Simpson's website, phoenixtears.ca. Uh, Czech Republic legalized the use of cannabis for medicinal treatment. Awesome. And unfortunately, the U.S. has already forced democracy on Mali. Mali, like Afghanistan, has never had a centralized government. In fact, before we even went in with the French, there had never been a suicide bombing in that country. The immediate blowback of our intervention was the hostage situation, which went underreported, as well as the suicide bombing, clear proof that our overseas presence fuels much of the terrorism we experience. 
Forcing a government on them will only worsen international stability and create new terrorist groups who will want to attack us. The weather here in San Marcos is 54 degrees, and uh, the traffic looks pretty much clear. Uh, problem areas are 5 southbound at La Jolla Parkway, which is a 45-mile-per-hour slowdown. 5 southbound at the uh, south on 8, 30-miles-per-hour slowdown. But I don't think this, the signal of AM 1320 reaches out there. So, broadcasting live from Palomar College, Alex Fiddle here, host of Free Thought Radio, which continues right now. Two songs I want to play. This first one by King Diamond. This one is called Karen, and it is about the uh, the lady that brings you across the river Styx. And then after that, The Wake by Sadis. Great metal band featuring the uh, bass god, Steve DiGiorgio. Um, I got to see Sadis live uh, in 2006 or 2007. It was awesome. I was in the front row and, and uh, picked up some bassology from Steve DiGiorgio and, you know, like the three-finger you know, to do the gallops or the 30-second notes, that helped out a lot. And, you know, how to do, you know, like he's a monster bass player. You'll hear it in the song. So Karen by King Diamond. And then after that, The Wake by Sadist. Listening to KKSN AM 1320, the radio revolution.
by Sadist, and before that, Karen, by King Diamond. And I left the, the webcam on instead of changing it to the Fatal Portrait artwork, so I'm sure people watching could have seen me embarrassing myself singing along to King Diamond. I do it all the time. If you see me driving down the highway, I'm probably singing along to King Diamond. Um, but up next, um, got two songs. Uh, first one is Up on the Hill 
by Ween, an interesting song about uh, Ween's, you know, I, I, even though I'm an atheist, I have a lot of things to say about, uh, especially organized religion, you know, separating people from, you know, the big, you know, world power players like the Vatican or um, Saudi Arabia, Bahrain, Israel, go down the list. I do respect the individuals that, that uh, are a part of those religions. Uh, and, and there are, of course, other alternative religions to, uh, like, uh, Wiccanism or heathenism, paganism, Satanism, even as long as it's nonviolent. Um, but Ween, uh, I think when they were either doing mushrooms or tripping on acid, they saw their prophet, Bugnish, and, um, just Google that, B-O-O-G-N-I-S-H. It's just this dude's face, spiky hair. <laughs> I, I, uh, but this song kind of explains the Boognish. So this is Up on the Hill by Ween. And then after that, Live My Life by Kim.com. Doesn't that explain the core of this show? The core, I think the core of everyone's philosophy, at least ones that uh, even people that um, don't want others to live their lives. Um, I think that's what we all want to do. You know, we don't want to sit around and talk about politics. That's why an activist's job should be to work themselves out of a job so that there's no marijuana legal illegality for them to protest anymore. And then just live your life. Smoke it, smoke it instead of protest its illegality. Uh, but Up on the Hill here by Ween, and then after that, Live My Life by Kim.com. Here on KKSM, the radio revolution. Be right back. Up on the hill, down by the river, by the ocean, across the field, by the world of the bookness. I said, loud and loud and loud, I'm coming home. When I was younger, my mama told me, she said, Gina, I want to smell it. And then she smelled it, and it was smelling. She said, loud and loud and loud, I'm coming home. In a dream, said he was coming. Boognish was rising up from the mist. He had the scepter of wealth and power.
Kim.com alone, not Brittany. And, and and hey, he's being persecuted, so free Kim.com. But if you missed any part of the show, uh, podcast will be up tomorrow at mediafire.com slash freethoughtradio, or simply go to iTunes, search for Freethought, and look for Freethought AAC and subscribe. Um, next week, I've got Brad. He's the CHO, that being the chief hemp officer of Hippie Butter Hemp Seed Food Products. And also Starchild, who's on the um, executive committee of the Libertarian National Party. And is also, uh, he's from San Francisco, he's an activist, and he is an erotic services provider for both sexes. Week after that, I have Julia from PeterMcWilliams.org, as well as Joe Grumbine, the jailed medical cannabis patient, or caregiver, excuse me, um, that we talked about earlier on the show. And And again, my guests for tonight's show were... We're uh, Leonard Freeling of Law Enforcement Against Prohibition. Great organization. I've had so many people from them on the show before. And then also Sherry Sicard, author of the Cannabis Gourmet Cookbook. We talked about how to cook with marijuana, medically, that is. And you can head over to facebook.com slash freethoughtradio slash events for all the upcoming guests and everything else. Um, so these last two songs are Emptiness by Moonloop, a great... Uh, progressive death metal band from barcelona they're kind of independent underground i discovered them just i was in barcelona once that was kind of like during when cynic had just reunited i was in a record store and this dude was wearing the cynic shirt and i had never seen the cynic shirt even you know from you know because i'm a you know metalheads are to some degree always shirt collectors i freaked out i'm like dude cynic i'm like oops uh, i mean do you speak english (laughs) i'm blessing glace and uh, of course he did and and we uh he gave me a copy of his CD, and we've been we've been friends ever since. Uh, so th- these guys are a great great band to check out. Moonloop. After that is Overreaction by Voivod. So you're listening to Emptiness by Moonloop, and after that, Overreaction by Voivod here on KKSM AM 1320, The Radio Revolution. Tune in next week, Mondays, six to nine. Thanks to everybody for listening tonight. See you next week.
1320 AM, Oceanside. Yeah. 
to KKSM AM 1320 Oceanside, PalomarCollegeRadio.com.